0: Market Journal Television for Agricultural Business Decisions is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us here on another episode of Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskin. Spring planting continues across the region with favorable weather making things go relatively smooth, at least thus far. Coming up on today's broadcast, we'll get Bill Boyer's take on weather for the upcoming growing season. We'll also have a fresh edition of Crop Talk. That is all coming up, but first. Dust is an unfortunate side effect of rural roads as well as on farm surfaces. But there's a product out there available that can help keep dust in the ground. Better yet, it's made with soybean oil. The Nebraska Soybean Board is helping to promote this product, which is called Dust Lock. We recently learned about it with a staff member from the Nebraska Soybean Board. Let's talk about this product, it's called Dust Lock. So from a high level, what does this product do?
2: Yeah, so Dust Lock is a product that's made by Environmental Dust Control of the Midwest. And it's a soy-based uh, road stabilizer and dust suppressant. Uh, so the way that it works is when they apply it, um, it bonds to the materials and molecules that are in the road and it and it hardens and forms a stable barrier um, and so the benefit of this is that it stays where it, where it's applied doesn't run off or anything like that and it eliminates dust, mud, you know erosion, uh, potholes, washboards, all kinds of things like that um, and it's non-corrosive, and so the main benefit of it is that it's a cost-effective and environmentally
1: safe alternative to uh, permanent road surfaces. You had the chance to try this on uh, in in Nebraska, and a lot of our viewers today, today might not realize it, but they were likely walking a road that was treated with dust lock. That was out at Husker Harvest Days this past year. Tell me about that demonstration and how that went.
2: Yeah, so the the Nebraska Soybean Board sponsored uh, the application of dust lock at Husker Harvest Days. um, And we applied it to the three miles of gravel road that surrounded the the site there. Um, And so it it gathered a lot of attention and led to a lot of inquiries about the product. Um, But it was really well received. The the site managers there told us that um, it led to Um, increased visibility um, and it also there was less dust that was blowing on the facilities um, and on on the exhibitors so it
1: went really well and they're actually going to be applying more of it later this year. So the Nebraska soil Reward has announced a matching program, a uh, funding program. If people want to have dust lock on some of their properties, different uh, places, they can apply for some funds here. Tell me about that program.
2: Yeah, so we wanted to, to build on the momentum that, that came from that because, like, like I said, it, it gathered a lot of attention and it had a lot of people asking about it. So we created the matching funds program as a way to... Um, kind of reignite some of that interest while also um, helping alleviate some of those costs and actually getting the product out there. So, um, us and uh, Dustlock will review the applications and we'll match funds up to $10,000
1: for a select number of applications. I'm sure, uh, again, a lot of our viewers would love to put this on their local uh, county roads. Probably not the best application for (laughs) those, though. So tell us, who are the types of people you're hoping will apply for this program? What are some of the surfaces you're hoping to apply this on?
2: Yeah, so we we know that dust control and road stabilization is an issue that affects all parts of Nebraska. Um, So our our main focus and people we want to apply are any sort of ag-related facility um, that benefits Nebraska communities. So uh, some of the examples of this would be uh, fairgrounds, uh, you know, those county roads coming into town, or um, grain processing complexes, hog farms, feed mixing areas, anything along those lines. Uh, But we also know that there are other uh, smaller locations uh, that could be utilized, so um, we also are encouraging, you know, maybe some smaller uh, places too. So it's it's pretty flexible.
1: Through this grant program, the Nebraska soybean board offering to, re- or to match up to $10,000 uh, in this funding. What's the deadline if somebody wants to put an application in for it?
2: Yeah, so we're accepting applications until April 28th. Uh, so between now and then, people can visit dustlock.com to to learn more information, uh, get some cost estimates, things like that. And then they can go to nebraskasoybeans.org and they can find the application on our website.
1: And if they have any sort of questions, they can uh, call our office and talk to me about it too. I mentioned your title with the Nebraska Soybean Soybean Board is Demand and Utilization Coordinator. I guess from your perspective, this has to be a pretty cool project to uh, show Nebraska soybean farmers how their checkoff is benefiting them with a real world example, right?
2: Yeah, so I mean, Producers and researchers are continually looking for new ways to utilize the entire composition of the soybean, um, and and the checkoff uh, is always wanting to promote new uses, things that build demand for soybeans, uh, stuff that affects the bottom line for farmers. So it's really cool when when there's a product that farmers produce that provides an immediate and sustainable solution that. A, to, a, to an issue that affects everyone in Nebraska. So it's a win-win for everyone, and it's it's been, really, it's been a fun project to work on.
1: Absolutely. We'll tell you again that submissions will be accepted until April 28th. If you'd like to learn more about this product, be sure you visit them online. Their website is simply dustlock.com. From soybeans to the Snake River now, we've shared with you some of our coverage from this year's Wheat Marketing and Export Workshop, which was hosted by the Wheat Marketing Center out in Portland, Oregon. While we were there, we had an up-close and personal look at one of the unsung heroes of the wheat distribution chain, that's tugboats. These boats play a pretty, key, pretty critical role when it comes to moving massive amounts of grain. The Shaver Transportation Company has been working on the Columbia Snake River system for over a century now. A
3: over. So for top- nearly a century and a half, Shaver Transportation has served the Columbia Snake River system. Founded by George W. Shaver in 1880, the Shaver family continues to own and manage the business to this day, making it the oldest continually operating family-owned tugboat company on the West Coast. Since its inception, Shaver has grown into a regional tug and barge company with a fleet of 15 tugs and 20 barges, making this company a formidable player in the wheat export market.
4: Uh, it, it's, it's a valuable role, ourselves as well as, as the other uh, providers of service here on the Columbia Snake River system. Um, As you're aware, the Columbia River port system is number one in wheat exports uh, in the United States. 60% of the wheat comes by rail. A lot of it uh, railed from the Midwest. 40% of it comes by barge from the inland Northwest. And that's where Shaver Transportation comes in as we provide the barge service along with other services here on the river uh, for the Inland Empire uh, farm producing families uh, that are exporting their wheat to the Pacific Rim.
3: When it comes to having a competitive edge in the shipping industry, barges are the quickest and cheapest way to move grain to export terminals in terms of how much grain can be moved per gallon of diesel fuel. In short, barge shipping is one of the most reliable and environmentally friendly options for grain shipment.
4: The competitive edge is this, in ton miles per gallon of diesel uh, consumed for the shipment of cargoes. Trucks are about 151 miles. Rail does an excellent job at 475 miles to move a ton of cargo with a gallon of diesel. Inland barging, 675. So the competitive edge is we are the most fuel efficient, most uh, environmentally responsible way to move cargo. We're also the least expensive because you have not only barge companies competing within their own group of of, uh, transportation areas, but you have barge lines competing with rail, and when barge and rail
3: compete, shippers win. During our time at Shaver Transportation, we were given the opportunity to take a trip down the river on one of their tugboats. When it comes time to get those barges on the move, tugboats like this are a big part of getting those grain shipments from point A to point B.
4: That boat's got a great history. Uh, The boat is the uh, Lincoln, It was built in 2015, we acquired it in 2017. Uh, It is uh, a purpose-built upriver barge boat, so it's not built for going in the ocean, not built for ship assist services. Uh, It is built to hook up solidly to a barge tow of about 485,000 bushels of wheat, that would be four barges, and to push those barges empty upriver to get loaded, and then to corral them and bring them all back downriver.
3: Considering the amount of grain being shipped at any given time, the tugboat crews manning the ships for shaver transportation will spend an entire week on duty to ensure their shipment is successful. While the job itself is a tireless one, Rob tells us there are several factors that make his job highly enjoyable.
4: What do I like about my job? Uh, I like the interaction with, uh, uh, with the maritime community. I like the interaction with the agricultural community. Uh, I like the fact that it's always a new day uh, in maritime uh, whether you're dealing with ships or barges or uh, uh, any of the above, uh, there is always something new. It isn't, it isn't a static industry in that respect, and, uh, and I like that.
3: As much as Rob loves his job, he was quick to remind us that the work he and his coworkers do, in many ways, rests on the shoulders of agricultural production here in the Midwest. And for that hard work, he's very grateful.
4: We are thankful for all of the agriculture that the Midwest produces that ends up being shipped out here to the West. Yes, a lot of it ends up down the Mississippi River system, but an awful lot of it also ends up by rail out here, and you are helping support thousands of jobs out here on the West Coast of the US, specifically here in the Columbia River District with, uh, with terminals, with tug lines, uh, with rail, um, and with all manner of associated services what you do in Nebraska makes a difference to us out here.
1: Another big thanks to the folks at Shaver Transportation for that opportunity to get up close and personal with their fleet. Some impressive stuff there. If you'd like to learn more about their operation, you can visit their website. It is Shavertransportation.com. Up next, with interseeding cover crops, there are quite a few different options available. This year, the University of Nebraska Lincoln began a high boy cover crop interseeding project in partnership with several producers and organizations across Nebraska. We got an up close look at the process during a recent demonstration.
3: In a cornfield located in southeast Nebraska, just north of Wahoo, producers got a first hand look at the capabilities of a new high boy cover crop planter. This demonstration was intended to give producers an idea of the effectiveness of broadcast interseeding cover crops before harvesting corn using a high-clearance machine during the R5 stage of corn production. The goal with these demonstrations seeks to address two barriers to adopting cover crops in Nebraska. One, getting enough cover crop growth prior to winter dormancy, and two, time and labor required to manage cover crops. Furthermore cover crops will be quite helpful in priority watersheds with water quality issues.
5: Uh, We actually got this high boy as part of a water quality demonstration. Uh, The idea is that cover crops really have a lot of benefits, soil health and otherwise, uh, water quality being one of those. And so we funded this project in part with a NDEE, Nebraska Department of Environment and Energy 319 grant for non-point source pollution. Uh, And the main focus there is looking at how we can use cover crops more efficiently and effectively across the state of Nebraska and uh, get some water quality benefits out of it, as well as the soil health and and crop and weed protection and everything along with that. So with this project, um, we've got two different options. Um, This is a project that We're really taking care of the machine the operator and the seed costs for the producers. Um, We hope to carry this on for five years after this year so there will be signups in these water quality areas of concern Um, so they're really these special priority areas across the state where we have water quality issues. We have two seed mixes this year we have rye straight cereal rye and we also have a three way mix that we're putting out on some fields which is a cereal rye turnip and rapeseed mix. Um, that mix is really one that's been popular with the people that are either trying to get through a hard pan or they're grazing with cattle. The concept though is that eventually, that if we can uh, show that interceding an in R5 really gives us a good establishment of the cover crops, then we can uh, get some more of these machines and more of these units in place across the state and really get a broader coverage of cover crops that's much more applicable to farms across the state.
3: When it comes to planting the cover crops, there was a lot of thought that went into what to plant and why. As far as the timing, it's been established through years of extension research that the R5 stage of development in corn would be the optimal time frame to conduct this particular demonstration.
6: Uh, We're planting cereal rye straight or in a mix with um, brassicas, turnip and rapeseed. Um, The cereal rye is our most winter hardy cover crop in this part of the country. And it is really the most productive cover crop in corn and soybean systems. So um, this is a time when, um, just before corn is starting to dry down, you know, leaves are starting to drop. So more sunlight is coming in through the canopy, reaching the seeds that are on the ground, the cover crop seeds. So um, that's that light that they need to germinate. Whereas if we plant earlier in the season, um, a lot of times we just don't get good germination because there is not enough, there may be enough light for them to germinate, but not enough light for them to actually grow. We know it's a better time to establish it at R5 than drilling after harvest. Um, We get better growth, we get better better biomass production this spring, at least here in eastern Nebraska and and, and in rain-fed systems. The only other option to plant during that time would be uh, by airplane, aerial seeding, or by helicopter.
3: The partnerships that brought demonstrations like this to fruition will continue to work together in an effort to see more machines like this in the hands of our state's co-ops and custom applicators. Moving forward, it will be important to learn more about when and where methods of interseeding like this will be the most impactful around the state.
5: But really to, to get them in place, we need to get these in the hands of our custom applicators and our co-ops. We need to get this to be a technology that's readily available across the state. And we need to get this to where, um, interceding at R5, we have to be able to figure out where it works most effectively and under what conditions. One of the the best things about this project is that it's really been a partnership between a lot of different entities. Um, We have financial sponsorship from the Nebraska Department of Environment and Energy, but we really have strong investment from the three NRDs that are partnering with us this year, the Lower Platte North NRD, the Lower Platte South NRD, and the Upper Big Blue NRD. Um, We also have significant investment from our local extension counterparts so I'm coming out of one place and covering lots of different areas but we've got local extension that's partnering and working with our on-farm research on each of these farms and uh, most significantly we have fabulous producer partners that are willing to experiment on their ground, shred the ditches, host field days Um, and it really comes down to producers are interested in figuring out how to make cover crops work in their operation and we're here to assist them in that process.
1: A pretty impressive setup they have there. If you'd like to learn more about the high boy or have an interest in getting involved with a research project, you're encouraged to reach out to your local NRD office to determine eligibility and start that application process. Well, recently here on Market Journal, we highlighted the Nebraska FFA State Convention. There are now more than 200 schools in the state that offer agricultural education and FFA, and there's about 248 agricultural education instructors. Back in 2015, though, there were just 169 programs, so the need for ag teachers continues to rise. Six new schools will add ag education this year and two more are expected next year. The teaching profession can certainly be an abandoning one, but it's also a and there's never a boring day. You can learn more about the need for ag teachers in Nebraska by reading the April issue of The Nebraska Farmer. Well, it's now time for a look at weather with Market Journal weather analyst Bill Boyer. Bill, planting season, of course, underway for majority of the state at this point. What can we expect in terms of a long-term outlook for the growing season?
7: Well, sure, we could take a look at what's going on here over the next several weeks, get you ready for the summer. We need to start by Thinking about the average last freeze date, and if we paint these on here, you'll see, uh, we'll get more specific into our area in just a moment, but that late April, early May to uh, mid-May timeframe is what we're looking at uh, here in Nebraska. And it really varies uh, as late as early to mid-May out in the Northwestern portions of the state, in the Panhandle, early May into the sand hills, then the rest of the sand hills into central Nebraska, that April 25th to May 5th timeframe, then uh, getting later on in April. And then any time now here in the Southeast, we've already passed our average last freeze. So we're starting to switch the calendar over into uh, summer, which is good news, I think, for everybody. What do we got going on this summer? Well, the next 30 days, it looks like we're gonna be cooler than normal across a large swath of Nebraska. Here, better chances than not of cooler than normal temperatures. But you're going to notice now that the La Nina pattern has changed, you're going to notice a lot of near normal coming our way. And that's what we see here in our precip outlook, wetter off to the east of us. As we take a look at the 90-day outlook, this gets us through a big chunk of the summer. Again, equal chances on temps, near normal, above normal, below normal, right in that equal chances of both and we should be near normal in the precip as well. Again, the wetter weather is staying just off to the east of us. So to boil it all down, if you wanna take a look at what things look like, well, it looks kinda of like this. Uh, the Climate Prediction Center is showing temperatures that are gonna be near, maybe slightly above normal in some of the areas as we go May through July, June to August, July to September, August to October, and precip right across the board, I think gonna be near normal. So maybe an average summer, Uh, so to speak, as we take a look at what's coming up here in the months ahead, Bryce.
1: All right, thank you very much for that update, Bill. We'll keep an eye on that weather. Well, as producers look to get their soybeans planted this year, they may also be looking ahead for ways to protect their newly planted crop. Soybean gallmage has been an increasing threat to soybeans in Nebraska. Crop protection and cropping system specialist Justin McMekin recently stopped by our Market Journal studio to discuss some strategies to combat this threat as we head into another growing season. Let's talk about this. It's a a bit of a pain for soybean growers, not just in Nebraska, but across the Midwest. Size things up, how did things look this past year?
8: Yeah, you know, since this insect uh, was discovered in 2019, it's been around for a couple years. This is probably one of the lighter years we've had, which is great news for growers, and I'm I'm certainly happy for them. Uh, Unfortunately, soybean gall isn't gone. Uh, We're looking at about 77% of our previously identified counties as those soybean fields being infested by random survey. Uh, from uh, a project funded by the Nebraska Soybean Board Uh, and in some of those counties we're getting a lot of pressure uh, still. And so it's a random sample, we've heard from a lot of growers post-season that they're certainly under a lot of pressure and still looking for answers. To soybean government. so it's down a little bit, but it's it's out there and causing problems. Any particular reason why it was down a little bit this year? Could you track that? Oh man, it's it's the the long you know. It'll take us a while to figure those kinds <laughs> of things out. Obviously, environment's one of those factors that that would play into this, but uh, what specifically is leading to its uh, you know temporal decline? Uh, unknown. I I guarantee you, it's not gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, our our issues with. Uh, raspberry midge in Denmark, Poland area, that, that's a hundred years that pest has been around. It fluctuated up and down over its time. Um, and so conditions line up again, it'll be back uh, in the system.
1: I suppose we should rewind a little bit for producers who are dealing with this. They know it's you know, what it looks like and some things uh, whether I was scouting, but for somebody who's not familiar, what does soybean gall midge uh, impact look like?
8: Yeah, uh, you know, most who first identified as an issue, uh, at least back in 19, saw a lot of dead plants along the edge of their field. Uh, and they may have initially thought, oh, this is Phytophthora or something else. A closer inspection of those plants, especially in plants that are still living along that edge, uh, shows we've got some dark discolorations at the base of the plant, and peeling a bit of that tissue off, you find these orange larvae, and that's pretty diagnostic of soybean gallmage. Um, it comes from adjacent fields, so there's a soybean field usually adjacent the previous year, uh, but it, it essentially gets in, cuts off the circulation of that plant, meaning the water and nutrients that can, it can transport and cause the plant to die. And that can happen really fast, 21 days after first adult activity. Um, and all of our research sites, that that was pretty typical this past year. Yeah,
1: spend some time at the combine this year. It's nasty when you see it, particularly we had fields next to corn. And when you saw it, it was, it was prevalent there, that's for sure. Yeah, yep. Let's talk about 2023. Anything you're looking ahead to and worried about as we uh, kind of gear up for the next planting season?
8: Yeah, I'm always nervous for what soybean gall midge is gonna do each year um, as it emerges the following spring. And certainly we left the, the season with some pretty significant larval populations. Um, so, you know, the, the anticipation is uh, that we'll see it again. As we're going through the season, are there particular things that producers should
1: be looking for to know if this is impacting their fields?
8: Yeah, so the, the first thing uh, if a grower is at all concerned or, or identifies that their counties have soybean gallmage in it through soybean the website where we host a lot of that information, is to join that alert network and that puts them in contact uh, with some information that's pretty useful for when and where to scout. Um, so there's a good six hours of videos on there on soybean gall midge, which is a lot of information. But uh, the key thing will be after that emergence occurs, starting that scouting. For those that don't know they have it, late July uh, or mid-July even is a good time to look for this insect. And there's, there's a lot of key features in the landscape that are useful for finding it when it's in a lower population. Dense vegetation, along field borders. And then we have some other hosts like sweet clover. It's uh, that, pretty important to look for those to know if it's in the area.
1: Okay, so we've got six hours of video people can go watch on one of these uh, snowy days during the winter. Sure. You also have an upcoming uh, kind of educational webinar, I'll call it. That's on the 27th of February. Uh, what's going on there?
8: Yeah, it's it's the continuation of those six hours that we've put together. So we've, we've held this twice uh, with with good participation, about 400 people attending across a lot of different states, even outside of where soybean gallmage is found. And what we're providing them is an update on what we've learned on soybean gallmage. So We think we've done enough to talk about the biology and ecology, and we'll do some research updates on that that's important to management, Uh, but we'll be focusing on what we specifically learned this past season relevant to what might be coming the next season. And There are a lot of tactics that are frustrating for growers, but I think understanding what we're seeing from those, even though they're frustrating, is useful uh, to making a management plan for something that we don't know a lot about yet. If somebody wants to join those 400 others that are attending those, what's the website to do so and get registered? Yeah, soybeangalmudge.org You click on that website, one of the first things you're gonna see is click here to register for the event. Uh, we're putting together our speaker list, which is, a, is basically everybody that's working in Soybean gallmage with within the land-grant university. So uh, we have Nebraska, myself, uh, Tom Hunt and Bob Wright. And then in Iowa, Aaron Hodgson's Bruce Potter, Bob Cook in Minnesota, and Adam Horst in South Dakota. And that really encompasses the region where we have a lot of issues. Uh, so people may hear from me throughout the season, uh, but hearing from those individuals directly would be really important. There's also question and answer periods in there where they can ask things maybe we're not thinking of. Um, so It's a good good event to attend if you have any concerns or, or have a problem with soybean gallmage.
1: You said that the Soybean Checkoff here in the state is helping out with this. What help is the Nebraska Soybean Board? Uh, how have they helped, I guess, uh, fund your research in this?
8: They've done a lot. Uh, we, we would be a pretty silent group right now without their support. Uh, so we have planting date studies that are funded through them, looking at seed treatments as well. Uh, that survey that I mentioned is funded by the Nebraska Soybean Board. Uh, mowing field ditches, edges, uh, looking at ways of reducing it through cultural control practices. Uh, they've looked at disease interactions. The list is really long. I could spend quite a bit of time talking about it. And they also fund work through North Central Soybean Research Program, critical to new identification. So they're, they're an instrumental funding source to allow us to do a lot of what we talk about. Thanks again
1: to Justin for his time and expertise. If you'd like to learn more about the Soybean Midge Network, the Alert Network that is, we've posted a helpful link along with this story. You can find that at marketjournal.unl.edu. Well, that is going to do it for this week's show. If you didn't miss a story, be sure to follow Market Journal on YouTube and on social media to join in on that conversation. We hope to see you back here next time. Until then, I'm Bryce Duskin. wishing you a safe and productive week.
0: Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.